Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Every single day that we come and we're given breath in our lungs and we're given life in our bodies and, and we are existing here on earth is a wonderful and powerful opportunity to thank the Lord. It's a powerful opportunity to recognize the Lord, amen, to see what the Lord has done. And, and, and if you could just, you know, I'll give you just 30 seconds to think about your 2023 and, and look at where you're at now. How many of you could say, look what the Lord has done, amen? You know, you could really say like, amen. You could say in your heart, look what the Lord has done. You know, the beginning of, of 2023 presented, you know, all kinds of twists and turns, you know, for my life personally, for my family's life. And we experienced a lot in 2023, you know, and, and, and but we saw the Lord time after time just show up faithfully, amen? We saw the Lord time after time in, in maybe what seemed uh, challenging and in, in, in what seemed like trial, what seemed like struggle, what seemed like betrayal, what seemed like, you know, hurt, pain, you know, no matter the case, the Lord showed up. Amen? And the Lord will always, 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 church, he will always be there. He will never fail you. He will never fail you. And, and I can't think of an instance in my life there's moments where we feel like God is failing us. There's moments where we feel like, you know, the Lord hasn't come through. The Lord isn't doing what we hoped would happen or, or we can't see, you know, the promise that's going to be fulfilled. But how many of you know that the Lord has never failed you? He really hasn't. He's never failed. He's never failed to step in at the appropriate time, at his time, when he sees best, when he sees that the work that he's doing in your life has kind of come to a, to a boiling point and it's reached that perfect temperature where he can take you out of the oven. Amen? God doesn't want any uncooked Christians. Amen? He doesn't want anybody that's half-baked. He doesn't want anybody that's, that's, you know, hasn't had the work that needs to be done in their life actually be produced in their life. He doesn't want us to be, you know, some kind of, you know, half-baked version of his son. The Bible says that though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Outwardly, you and I are, are getting older. You may have a new gray hair on your head this year or, or lose a hair on your head this year or, or whatever the case. And we're changing and we're constantly, you know, you know, you know our flesh is, is slowly dying. There's a saying that says the moment that you were born, you have begun to die. Your days are numbered. You know, you will, you will eventually, you know, come to, you know, an ending in your life. Thank you so much. Everybody, thank the Lord for DJ. Praise the Lord for him. I said thank the Lord for him. Jeez. Give the guy some props. Thank you, DJ. And we're grateful for all the things that the Lord has done. And, and he wants the work that he's begun in our life to come to completion. So that ultimately we are formed and fashioned and we look and walk and live like his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And the beauty of who the Lord is, is that the Lord never leaves us hopeless. I was kind of resonating on that thought as I was preparing my message. The Lord never leaves us in a place of hopelessness. Now, we may have feelings of hopelessness. We may have moments where we feel situations look hopeless, but the reality is, is that the Lord will never leave us in a hopeless situation. In the hopeless situation for Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus, they believed that he was dead, but Jesus saw him asleep. They thought that this, this man's life had come to an end. Their beloved brother, the one that Jesus, you know, loved and Jesus had a relationship with. And the Lord doesn't see things the way that we see them. We see things that we see the glass half empty most of the time, as they say. We see the, the situation as, oh, no, you know, we, we went to the doctor and, and you know, we, we really just had a fever, but they said that it could be much, much worse. It was a fever that had never been discovered before, and all of a sudden, I'm the only person in the world that has it. 
And we see the things that, that, that you know, almost our, you know, our own imagination will take them there. But, and, and, but the enemy will pile things on your heart to, to make us believe that the situation is worse than it really is. But the fact of the matter is that if you have Jesus ruling and reigning in your heart and he is Lord of your life, you are never in a hopeless situation. Amen. Daniel is in a den with hungry lions. They want to eat lunch. And the God of this universe who created not only Daniel, but he created the lion, has the ability to tell the lion when he's going to have lunch and when he's not going to have lunch, when he's going to be able to devour some piece of meat or whether or not he will have the ability to devour one of his own children. The Lord is that powerful, church. The Lord really is that powerful. In the hopeless situation for a short man named Zacchaeus, God put a tree nearby so that he could get the attention of Christ. Zacchaeus probably thought, there's no way I'm going to see Jesus through this crowd. He was vertically challenged, as they say. I'm not the tallest guy in the world either, but, you know, I, 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 I feel kind of tall in the valley. I get to go to H-E-B and I can look across and I see just heads, um, you know, and I, I, I feel semi-tall. But Zacchaeus had an issue, and his issue was actually his height. It was a physical, you know, just part of his life. He couldn't see Jesus passing by, but, you know, the Lord knew that Jesus was going to pass by on that day, and he knew Zacchaeus' situation of being vertically challenged, and he said, you know what, I'm going to put a tree there so that this man could climb that tree and see my son and get his attention. That's the kind of God that you serve. That's the kind of God that thinks of things that you would have never thought of well in advance because he is God and we are not. Could somebody thank God for that? He is God, church. In the hopeless situation of the disciples being afloat of a raging sea and ocean, they're literally on a boat hoping that they're not going to die. And they have the captain of this world, the one whom the Bible describes later as an anchor for our soul. How many of you know what an anchor does? An anchor drops into the depths of the ocean and it reaches all the way down until it grabs something so that the vessel cannot be moved. It, it, it digs in its grips and it, and it finds a firm footing in, in an in a area that should be drifting you off to to, you know, a, a worse storm. And the very anchor for their souls is, is literally laying in the bow of this boat. And the disciples are thinking, you know, there's, there's you know, a raging storm going on. And I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I don't know how many of you, how many of you like the ocean? Raise your hand if you like the ocean. All right, cool. Good for you. Swimming it all you want. You can have it. Have my portion of the ocean, okay? I don't trust the ocean. I'm just being honest with you. The little thing of seaweed that hits you, I'm the guy that thinks like it's a great white shark. And I don't even think there's great white sharks down here, but you know, I, I feel seaweed and I just, I don't trust the ocean. I have friends that go fishing in like water this deep and they tell me all the time that they step on stingrays and that, you know, fish brush up against them and it's creepy. Like I'm like, oh, dude, that's insane. I can't imagine being on a boat in a vessel that, you know, this is not Titanic that they're on, which we all know how that ended. But this is not like a vessel of today. It's not an aircraft carrier that's, that's you know, highly engineered and well-built. It's just a normal fisherman's boat. And this ocean is raging so much. There's water coming from the top. They're on water. There's no light. This ain't, this ain't like the movie ocean that you see, you know, like it's not fabricated that way. It's, it's pitch black in the middle of the ocean. There's nothing out there. And there's a storm that's raging. And what seems as if the, the situation is going to take a turn for the worse, they have a God that's sitting in their boat that literally says, peace be still, and it stops. All of the elements obey his voice. All of the elements of this world, all of the things that you and I have zero control over, I can't go and make the wind blow the other way. I don't have that kind of power. 
I can't, you know, tell the son, you know what, I'd like to sleep in a little longer. Can you come up just a little bit later today? I don't have the ability to control those things in the atmosphere, in the heavens, in the, in, you know, in the, in the, in the skies. But there's one who can actually speak to those elements. And when he speaks, they stop. When he speaks, they, they hearken to his voice and they, they stand still when he tells them to stand still. And they move when he tells them to move. This is the kind of God that we serve. In the hopeless situation of the prostitute woman who was about to be stoned to death, Jesus stopped all of the madness by asking a simple question. Back then in that time that, that, that they lived in, you know, the religious leaders saw that, that sin was, you know, it was to be punished. Sin was to, to have, you know, some kind of punishment for. And this woman was known as a harlot. She had given herself to many people. And, and she's, she's there. And the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees see this as a punishable offense. She needs to die. And they're all raising stones at her. And Jesus could have just left the scene and said, you know what, this is a little too controversial this is a little too you know risque this is a little too you know dangerous for me to get in the middle of but instead he gets in the middle of the the situation and he draws a line in the sand and he asks a simple question he says he who was without sin cast the first stone go ahead whoever in this mob of people that is trying to murder this woman whoever has not sinned Go ahead, throw it. And at once, everybody just, they held their rock and they laid down their arms. And they knew in that moment that they too were sinners. That they too had sinned against God at one point or another. It's probably one of the only times in scripture that you'll see a Pharisee <laughs> admit to his sin. But I believe that was an admittance of their sin. It was an admittance of their sin. They saw something and Jesus stopped it all by asking a question. And time and time again, the Lord extends his mercy and his grace towards those who believe in him. Time and time again, the Lord extends mercy and grace towards those who believe in him. There's an older song that I was reminded of as I was preparing this message. And the title of my message, if I haven't told you, is is to return to the Lord. I believe this is something that the Lord is, is wanting us to do in 2024, is to return to him. And right now you might be thinking, well, Pastor Duke, I, I, I never left, or you know, I, I, I've always been there, or God's always been there for me. And, and I think by the end of this message, I pray that maybe our hearts are opened and we, we see a little bit clearer and a little bit deeper into different ways that maybe we need to return to him. But there's this song that used to say this. It said, a thousand times I've failed and still your mercy remains. It says, and should I stumble again, it says, still I'm caught in your grace. A thousand times I failed and still your mercy remains. When I hear the lyrics to that song, it reminds me that the Lord alone has this almost uh, uncanny ability or impossible ability to forgive those who are without a doubt guilty of sin, no matter the stumble. He has the ability to forgive us of the things that people in this world have yet to forgive you of. The Lord has the ability to, and it's not an overlooking. I want to make that very clear. The Lord never overlooks sin, right? That's not what, that's not what he's doing when he forgives us. What he's doing is, is he sees the sincerity of your repentance. He sees the sincerity of your desire to change. And he sees that, that desire in you to, to want to be forgiven by him. It's something that happens out of love out of a place of love. You, we, we realize that we've offended the one that loves us so much and that paid the penalty for our sin. And when we sin again, 
we come back in that place and we realize that we have offended the one who loves us so dearly. And so we come back to the Lord. And when the Lord forgives us, church, he alone has the ability to erase that from our spiritual record and cleanse that and wash that under the blood. And he goes before the Father. The Bible says that he is the great high priest who intercedes for us day and night. And when he goes, you know, that, that, that whole terminology of being a great high priest is, is, is resemblance that there's a courtroom in heaven. And he goes there on your behalf. And he goes and he actually says when the lists are brought up before him, the Bible says that the enemy inhabits that place too. He's the accuser of the brethren. So you have Jesus, who's the, you know, the, the defendant, you know, and you've got the, the, the you know, the, the enemy who's the one that's bringing the accusations. And the Bible says that Jesus is the one that actually looks at our name and when we've repented, when we've truly come to him for forgiveness, it's his blood that marks that sin off of our life. It's his very blood that marks that sin out of our life. And, and he, he, he goes and he reads it before the Father and they say, Oh, Duke or, or, or this person or that person. And he sees their name. And the enemy says, But I know they did this and I know they did that. Yes, but it's covered in the blood. It's been made pure. He brought it to me. Oh, but, you know, they failed you and they did this and they, they said that and they went there and they saw this and they, all those things. Oh, but, but they brought it before me and it's, it's, it's covered in the blood. And the Father counts it to us as righteousness. Amen? And so the Lord has this powerful ability to forgive us of sin. The powerful ability to forgive us of what we sometimes don't even forgive ourselves for. I would venture to say that there's some of us in this room tonight that have failed the Lord. We have done something in a way where we know we have pained or we've hurt the heart of God. And because we've done something in that manner that we've caused ourselves to punish ourselves. We've condemned ourselves for our actions. We've condemned ourselves. We've, we've, we've got on ourselves. We, you know, said, oh man, you know, you failed God. You're never going to get it right, you know. And, and can I just step in for a second and say this? That's the devil's work. You have no business condemning yourself. Amen? You have no business as a child of God condemning yourself. The Bible says that, you know, the person that doesn't believe in Jesus, they already stand condemned. But those who believe in Jesus, amen, those who have accepted the work of Christ on our behalf, we actually stand righteous before God. That's good news. We stand righteous before God, but we see this battle that it still goes on. If we're being completely honest with ourselves, there's things that we're probably ashamed of that we did in 2023. Responses that we gave. Actions that we committed, things that we saw, things that we, you know, the way we talked to a brother or sister in Christ, the way that we handled a certain situation. There's things I believe that every one of us could point back to and see that we probably are ashamed of. The nation of Israel, if I can shift gears for a second, is obviously known to us in Scripture as being the, the chosen nation of God, the chosen people of God. And if you know the story of the Israelites and you know their story of how, you know, they were taken into captivity and they were, you know, finally, you know, going through exile and they were escaping, you know, Egypt and they were, you know, being, you know, led through the desert into the promised land and eventually into freedom. They found themselves time and time again going back to bondage. Amen. They found themselves time after time you know, they'd have a moment where they were good with God and they'd repent and they'd put on sackcloshes and they'd sit in ashes and they would repent before the Lord because of things that they did. You know, they would have famines and they would have, you know, plagues and things that they were going through in their life. And those things obviously caused them to turn back to God. But it was in those moments of comfortability where they found themselves just getting too comfortable in their relationship with God that all of a sudden idols would arise in their hearts and idols would arise in the land and different things that they would begin to place their trust in and they would seemingly forget about God. And the Bible teaches us in the, in the book of Lamentations that the nation of Israel 
was literally reduced to nothing. And they were completely destroyed. They were overtaken and they were invaded by the Babylonian army. And there was this great suffering of God's chosen at the hands of their enemy. There was this great suffering that they had to endure at the hands of their enemy because of the decisions they made. I'm going to say it again. The suffering that they endured was because of decisions they made. Now, I don't know about you, but I've faced a few consequences of my own actions in this lifetime. Maybe you have too. Maybe you've suffered the repercussions of things and choices that you made that weren't pleasing to the Lord. And, and maybe you're, quote unquote, paying for that, you know, you know down the road. Maybe your relationship with God got cold because of it or, or a, a relationship that you once had with somebody that, that you love, a friend, you know, a close person to your life has been severed because of an action of something that was done. There's repercussions for our actions and for the Israelites there was a repercussion for them because they were disobedient towards the Lord. They had broken promises that they had never fulfilled and the judgment of God was released upon his own people. And the Bible describes and the Bible teaches uh, in that book that the nation and the cities and the prophet Jeremiah, they could be heard weeping and crying out to God for their sin. And this would ultimately lead them back to restoration. They had gotten to the point to where they knew they had failed the Lord. They knew that they had completely just, you know, gone astray and done their own thing. And all of a sudden, in the midst of, of that of that feeling almost abandoned by God, and, and God hadn't abandoned them, but God had to release punishment upon them for what they had done. And, and in this, that's showing the justice of God, but in their, in, their, in their weeping and in their mourning, they cried out to God. And that was the turning point for restoration back to the nation of Israel. That was the turning point. I believe that there was a clock that almost had begun to, to be set off, you know, a spiritual alarm, if you will, that was, you know, all right, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Because from that point on, we find out that it was just a few hundred years later that Jesus would enter into the earth, that he would come to restore humanity. He would come to restore mankind. He would come to restore God's people. And in Lamentations chapter 3, I want us to read this. Verse 22, it says this. Through the Lord's mercies, this is Jeremiah the prophet speaking. He said, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. He is in the midst of a war zone of seeing the city and seeing the nation that God had called him to, to preach to, that God had called him to, to be a messenger to and a messenger of. He's seeing the very city around him. Everything looks like God is not there. And Jeremiah says these words, through the Lord's mercy, we're not consumed. Through his mercy, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. He said they are new every morning. And he said, great is your faithfulness. He picked up on something in the spirit when I believe his heart was, was torn before the Lord because of the, the nation's sin, because of maybe his own sin. There was something that he had seen, and there was this level of the Lord that was seen in their midst, you know, of their utter breaking down before God that showed up as mercy. It showed up as mercy. It showed up as a rescue plan in the midst of this darkness that they were facing. And it would be the very one who would break them down would be the very same one who would build them back up again. The very one who had to release his wrath of punishment and consequence upon that nation for their disobedience would be the very same one, church, who would bring them back to glory, who would restore them. This is who the Lord is for every single one of us. When we fail the Lord, and I believe I'm, I'm speaking to believers tonight, but if there's someone in this house that doesn't know Jesus, then I pray before this message is over that you'll give your heart to Jesus. But for those of you who know Jesus and you have a relationship with the Lord, 
We must never forget that there will be consequences for our sin. There will be consequences for our actions. And there will be moments where the Lord has to allow a crushing to happen in your life. He has to allow us to be broken down so that he can reform us. So that he can bring us back to a better glory. So that he can bring us back in the likeness and in the image of his son. The very one who knew why they needed to be restored was the solution to their restoration. He was the solution to their restoration. In the book of Ephesians, Paul reminds us in his word when he speaks of our sinful nature. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, he says this. All of us also lived amongst them at one time. He says, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Everybody say amen. That shouldn't be a proud amen, but it should be an acknowledgement of the fact. Amen? Too often, I need to stop there just for a second. Too often, I think we get comfortable in thinking that this is for somebody else when it's all for us. Amen? We read hard verses like this and we, we go, oh yeah, I know that sister. I know that one was for her. Oh, that brother, oh man, yeah, that's him. We like to dismiss it and we like to be passive and we like to push it off to somebody else, but it's all for us. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And it says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Me, God? Yes, you. Yes, us. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, when DJ was singing at the end, I just kind of had this image of God's love and I began to weep. Because when I see God's love, I, I see Christ in his punishment, in his crushing. There's no other image that comes to my heart, comes to my mind when I think of his love. Because to me, that's, that's his love. I know he's resurrected. I know he's alive and well. I know there's no, you know, piercings in his hand anymore. He's perfected in, in the presence of heaven. But when I think of his love, I think of, of that very image of Jesus. I think of, of, of John 15 that says, greater love it has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. It was the laying down of, life, of, of the life of Jesus that proves that he loves us. Amen? He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. What do rich people have? A lot of it. If somebody's rich in, in, in money, that's the normal thing that we think of when we hear somebody's rich. They have a lot of it. And when it says God is rich in mercy, that means he, he has an abundance of this. So much so that Jeremiah said it was new every morning. It was this endless supply that was constantly being given on our behalf. The blood of Jesus doesn't have to be spilled again. But there is a mercy that is available to us because we will sin again. Amen. I'm not telling you to sin again. I'm saying at some point you might sin again. And that mercy is what's been made available to you and I through the blood of Jesus to have access to every single day. It says, God, who is rich in mercy, it says he made us alive with Christ. And even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. The renewed mercy of God has always been available. And I want us to ponder this question for a moment. If what went wrong last year was never made right, I want us to understand this. The renewed mercy of God is available today. If what 
didn't happen well for you last year, and, and maybe some of you had the best year. You know, 2023 was the greatest thing that ever happened to you. But listen, it, it still doesn't mean that, you know, just because you, you got the new job or the car that you wanted or some relationship or whatever, it doesn't mean that in some way along the line that there was something that was outside of the need of mercy. Because I believe for every single one of us, there was probably one thing at least. And there's this interesting story in history and in the history of the word repentance that that I want us to kind of key in on. The word in Hebrew actually means originally to take a deep sigh or breath. I'm talking about the word repentance. It means to take a deep sigh or a deep breath. A deep feeling of sorrow or remorse. Now, repentance at the root, at the very beginning, seems to have the idea that you realize that you've done something wrong and you feel badly about it. When I was a kid, I used to, I used to ugly cry. How many of you know, like, what ugly crying is? Anybody ever ugly cried before? Like, you cry so much that you can't breathe? <laughs> Has anybody ever cried like this? You know, you finally like let it all out, you know, and sometimes if I did something wrong or I don't know, whatever the case was, you know, I'd, I'd get to that, that state of ugly crying. You know, I, I, I couldn't even control, you know, the, the ability to breathe because I was so sorrowful for whatever it was that I did. And this word repentance is describing a deep feeling of sorrow or remorse and repentance at the root at the very beginning, like I said, it gives us the idea that you realize that you've done something wrong and you feel very bad about it. And you feel it deeply, right? Like, like if you've wronged your husband or your wife or you've wronged somebody, you know, just God, period. You, you feel that remorse inside of you and there's this groan, this sigh, this, this, this depth of breath that you, you know you failed in some way. And all of us, I believe, know the way that works. We know that part of repentance We know that part has to do with our feelings. But the interesting thing is that the use of that word doesn't last very long in the Bible. Because when repentance is talked about at other times in Scripture, there's another word that was substituted for the same action. And another word, it actually meant this. It meant to return or to turn around and go. I'll say it again. That word repent, it actually meant to return to or to turn around and go. So this was not a word of feeling at all, but it was actually a word of action. Are you understanding me tonight? It was a word of action. Under the influence of of some of the prophets, repentance became not something that you felt, but something that you did. Do we see the difference? It wasn't just something that, you know, you wailed and cried about. It was like, oh, man, Lord, you know, I failed you. And, wow, you know, I, 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 I just pour out my heart before you. But it was actually a change of direction, and it was something that you did. And it's essential that we understand this, so we get this into our hearts and into our heads, and we understand what the Bible means about repentance. You don't repent by taking a deep breath, and then you say, oh, now I feel better. I've had a lot of counseling sessions with people over the years, and, and I, I, I don't mind doing it, but I've had a lot of people, and, and I think sometimes people just want to talk to somebody to let it off their chest. I don't know if you're that kind of Christian that gets all the phone calls from your brothers and sisters in Christ, that, but they call you because they got something to get off their chest. Hopefully it's not gossip. But I've had a lot of counseling sessions where people will call in and, oh, pastor, you know, and, and they'll say it's about one thing. And, and, and what's funny is it ends up becoming a confession session and they, they finally get it off their chest what it is that they're really bothered about. And, you know, but it, it, it masks itself in something else and they get it off their chest and then they just think like, well, oh, I feel better. I'm glad I told somebody. I'm glad it's out in the air now and I don't have to hide, you know, you know, this is what I'm dealing with or this is what's going on and that kind of thing. And while that brings a, a sense of relief in the moment because, you know, we, we need to talk to others. We need to find godly counsel and wisdom. You know, we need to ask for advice and direction at times. It's not repentance. It's still not repentance, even if you cried and you ugly cried about it to your pastor or to somebody that you know and love. And so it doesn't make any difference how we feel because you can have a feeling or you don't have to have the feeling. But what is essential in the matter is that you do something. 
that something is done about what you are saying needs to be changed. And so the call to repentance is not a call to feel the remorse only of your sins, but it's a call to turn around so that God can do something about them. Repentance is a very unpopular word, but the first sermon that Jesus ever preached, he used the word repent. In Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was a calling to action. It wasn't like, everybody cry about your sins. No, it was a calling to action to say, the kingdom of heaven is going to return. And the Lord's going to establish his righteousness in the earth. And the Lord has a plan. And you have the opportunity to jump on board with what God is doing or stand your ground and stand in your sin. But there will be punishment for one and there will be victory for another. And so the Lord gave this, this you know, message. That he said, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this was the Lord speaking through his son, Jesus. Jesus had come with a heart full of love and compassion, but he immediately called upon men and he called them to acknowledge their guilt and to turn from their ungodliness. I think a lot of times people like to think that Jesus is just nothing but rainbows and sunshine. Jesus is nothing but, you know, just a hippie with sandals on and he just loves everybody. I really believe that people believe that because I believe that they've created a false image of who Jesus is in their mind. They've created a false narrative of who Jesus is. Jesus is just super nice and he'll never, you know, challenge you. He'll never do anything to, to you know, cause you to whatever, you know, it's just perfect. But Jesus, time and time again, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well and he offered her the living water that he is. He, he, he gave her a plan of restoration, if you will, by accepting who he was. But he also called her out in her sin and then he told her and he left her with the message. He says, go and sin no more. Amen. Jesus calls us to that hard truth, to that, to that literally dividing line that says it's not one foot in and one foot out. It, it, it is a separation. He said, go and sin no more. And so Jesus, though he's full of compassion, he said that repentance must come before he could pour out his love and his grace and his mercy upon men. Jesus, if you ever notice in scripture, he refused to gloss over sin and iniquity. That is, he insisted upon self-examination, self-judgment, and, and, and upon also what is called a, a complete about-face. About-face is actually a military term. And, and I don't know if anybody here has ever served in the military. I know uh, my mom's wonderful husband over there, Carlos, who's a Vietnam veteran. Why don't you thank the Lord for, for them? He should know what about face means, but about face is actually meaning that if you're facing this way and your commanding officer tells you about face, that means that you turn completely around. Repentance is exactly that. The Lord is the only one that has the credentials to demand from us to turn from it, to turn from sin. And he insisted upon a, 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 a repented heart before he would release grace, before he would release certain things that mercy and things that people had need, need of. And it was an acknowledgement of our sin and our shortcomings when compared to the holiness and righteousness of God. That's what the Lord is wanting us to, to notice or to see or to acknowledge. Jesus is qualified to make that demand, especially when he himself paid the ultimate price for our sins upon the cross. He's the only one that can demand and command us to repent and turn from our sin. I share this with you tonight and going forward in this year that we examine our hearts because if we're honest, and I believe that we should be honest with ourselves, and, and the scripture tells us to examine our hearts, and the scripture also tells us to not think any more highly of ourselves than we ought to, that means that we have an honest estimation of ourselves. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I don't know, he asked me how much I weighed. I was like, oh, I weigh 170. And he's a little larger than I am, you know. 
he's like, oh, I weigh like 190. And he's trying to <laughs> do this kind of thing. And I'm looking at him, and, and I know he's not giving an honest estimation of himself. I say that jokingly because that's kind of how we are. Think we fit in a size 32 when <laughs> we're a 35 or a 36. My point is, is that when you examine your heart, you do so knowing that he knows everything and he knows every detail and he sees every area and he knows every thought. All of the things that your life is comprised of, the way that you behaved in a situation, the thing that you said behind somebody's back, the rumor that was started because whatever. He knows all of it. And so when we come to him, there has to be an honesty and there also has to be like that prayer in the book of Psalms that says, see, Lord, if there is any offensive way in me. That not only do we acknowledge that he knows all about us, so we can't hide anything, but secondly, the things that we maybe fail to see in our own life, we ask him and we give him access to see. We say, Lord, see if there's any offensive way in me. Maybe I haven't seen it. Maybe, God, I'm just so used to living a certain way that I've glossed over it, Lord, and, and I don't even know what exists in my life. I don't even know what's there. But see, Lord, if there is any offensive way in me. And I believe that every single one of us will find an area in our heart, our character, our belief in him, our trust of him, our behavior, our speech, our emotions, our attitudes, our actions towards others in some way that has not been pleasing to the Lord. In Matthew 3, in verse 8, John the Baptist is speaking. And he's asking of the people, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I believe that there's a big misunderstanding, and sometimes I think believers get fooled into thinking that repentance is a one-time action. The repentance is a one-time action. You know, I, I, I came to the Lord and I repented of my sins and I'm, I washed clean and boom, I'm good. I can just live however I want. I've met a lot of people that have, have proclaimed to know Jesus that way. They prayed one prayer, they did one thing, but the, the lifestyle never changed. There's no transformation. The partying's still going on. The, 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 the words are still flowing out of their mouth. The drug use is still happening. All those things, whatever. There's zero transformation of their life, and they just said they repented once so that they could get that grace card from Jesus and be like, okay, my name's written in heaven, and I'm good to go. But repentance is not a one-time Action And John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, let me ask you a question. Does a tree produce fruit just once? Think about it. Does it produce fruit just once? No. Or, you know, if, if it's healthy, does it produce year after year or season after season? Yes. If, if the tree is healthy, if it's been tended to, if it's been taken care of, it will produce fruit season after season. And the, and the produce, you know, the, the following season, after it's ripened and fallen, the following year, there will be a new harvest that's ready to break forth. That means there's, there's new fruit that's going to come forth. And that tree, like I said, it has to be groomed and pruned and trimmed and cared for year after year. And I believe the very same process that John is talking about is what the Lord is looking for from our hearts. He's saying your heart has to constantly be trimmed. It's got to constantly be pruned. It has to constantly, you know, so that something new can yield up in it. So that that part of the fruit of my spirit that he said is love, is joy, is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, you know, forgiveness, self-control, all those things, the, the fruit of the spirit that he is looking for, it is constantly being, you know, born out of a relationship with Jesus and it's born out of a place of coming back to repentance. Because if at some point the fruit is not being yielded properly, then guess what? There's something that we probably need to repent of. 
There's something in the soil of our hearts that has tainted that fruit and it's not able to grow. It's not able to sprout forth the way the Lord wants it. And so guess what? The Lord is not going to allow continued growth and continued, you know, uh, you know, fruit of, of his spirit in our life until those things are addressed. Does that make sense tonight? And so I believe it's humility that brings us to repentance, which leads us to a new harvest of the glory of God in our life. How many of you want to be more like Jesus this year? In 2024, I pray that it's our prayer and our desire to, to be more and more like the Lord. That if there was something from our past, something that has risen up in our life, or maybe your relationship with the Lord has gotten stagnant or cold in some kind of way, then listen, 2024 is a great opportunity, the best opportunity to return to the Lord. To return to him, to say, Lord, I'm not just you know, going to church. But Lord, I'm living a life. I'm producing the fruit, Lord, that you want from me. And as challenging as that is, Lord, as difficult as that may be, as frustrating as it can be at times, Lord, I ultimately want to please you. I ultimately want you, Lord, to be satisfied with my life. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 20, Paul was speaking. And he said these words, he said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. I preached they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. If you talk to any wife whose husband is apologizing for something that he's repeatedly done over and over, you'll probably hear her say something like this. Don't tell me. Show me. And I believe the Lord might be certainly more patient than than we are, but I believe the Lord might be uttering similar words to us. Don't tell me. Don't just simply say it. He said of those worshipers in John chapter four, he said, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's no fooling the Lord. There's no pulling some kind of veil over the Lord that he can't see it all or know it all. And I believe he says to us, he says, return to me. Return to me. God knowing the worst of us still offers the best of him and that's his son, Jesus. Simply says, return to me. He's who we repent to. See, like I said, repentance ain't just crying. It's coming to him. It's coming to the feet of Jesus. Joel in 2 and 12 says this. He says, even now, de declares the Lord, he said, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. In verse 13, he says, rend your heart and not your garments. He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. In the times of the prophet Joel, it was customary for them to tear their garments. It was customary for them to, to sit in a, in a pile of ashes as a sign of, of repentance to the Lord. And he says, I don't want you to tear your clothes for me. I want you to open up your heart. I don't want you to to do the ritualistic things. I don't, I don't, you know, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you to actually return to who I am. Lamentations chapter three and verse 40, it says this. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. As I ask you to stand to your feet tonight, I believe a new year simply gives us the humble reminder that his mercy is still available. 
A new year gives us that reminder that his mercy is still able to bring the things that we're not proud of, the broken promises that we may have made to him or the moments of failure, the times of, of our, you know, willful, you know, pride and, you know, all those things and place it before his throne and ask him once again for mercy. Ask him once again for redemption. Asking once again for his hand of restoration and renewal upon our life. Because here's the deal. Just because the calendar has changed doesn't mean yesterday has been dealt with until it's been dealt with. And there's things that maybe have been lingering. They're pending on your heart. They're pending in your life. There's relationships that need to be restored in your life or, or people that you need to forgive or they need to forgive you or there needs to be peace there. And listen, it's not just going to go away. It's not going to go away until we deal with it, until we bring it to the Lord. And Jesus is waiting for us to return back to him. I wrote this down, and I'll read this to you, and then we'll pray. But as I was preparing this message, I had wrote this. I know I cannot be the only one who didn't always make time for the Lord who didn't always selflessly serve him, his kingdom and the other ways that he wanted me to. Who at times made it about myself when it's always been about him. Or who chose at times to make my own choices instead of obeying what he already told me to do. Who at times followed my own lead instead of following his path. And who at times sought after my own good instead of seeking his goodness alone. I know I can't be the only one. And Jesus wants the restoration of your time for him. I'll say it again. Jesus wants the restoration of your time for him. Jesus wants the restoration of your gifts to him. Jesus wants the restoration of your calling to him. Jesus wants the restoration of your obedience to him. Jesus wants the restoration of your following of him. And Jesus wants the restoration of your seeking of him. But I don't know what area of your heart the Lord is speaking to tonight. But I believe the Lord wants us to come to him. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.